You not told him? <laughs> you men, what do you talk about all day? <laughs> Buying the company. Why? I, I, I mean, it's a great business. But yeah, nip snapper especially. You, you, you've got the world at, at your feet. Angelique on my back. Just do him a copy of the transactions, 22 to 23, and the year-end projections, OK? Yeah, I want to know where the bodies are buried. Oh, stop it. There's no skeletons in my knickers. <laughs> the talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 257 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catcher podcast that can already tell by the way she slams down an Olympic-sized breakfast that Becca's heart won't be won by American Pie, and she's far too good for Gav. I'm Gav. I'm Gavin. And I don't want two dads. Hmm. I guess it could have been it could have been more explicit, and I'm personally glad that it isn't. Don't worry, I've got plenty to say about that later on. Oh, poor wee Harry. Plenty to say about that later Plenty on. to say about that. I only have one dad. Don't we all? Well, I have... I, I've had six stepmothers. And then my mum. Oh. But I've only had... How many of your stepmothers can you name? You've got 10 seconds starting from now. Uh, Darla, Ryan, Anita 1, Anita 2, um, Sheila. Sheila, right? That was the last one. Oh, was it? I'd... <laughs> You're looking at me for verification here? I don't know. Uh, there's one I can't. Oh. Well, that was more than not seven then. That's, so I think that's, that was six. That that named. Was, I named five. Did you? Oh, and Pam, although they never actually they never actually got married. Oh, that's fun that we do the... <laughs> just kind of be nasty to your dad's part of the podcast. How are you otherwise? These are facts. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just stating a fact. No, I, I think the fact that we're stating those facts <laughs> is passing judgment. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, it's been kind of a stressful week. That's a wee bit. Yeah, we still have this smoke, although these are different wildfires. I was reading some of your posts on Facebook, and like, you seem to be comparing what was happening here to what was happening in New York. No. And it's not anything like New York at that. Our air quality has been bad longer. It hasn't been as bad, but it has been bad longer because we were first getting smoke from Canada from the wildfires further west. And now we're getting from the wildfires from the east. Because it doesn't look like Blade Runner 2023 outside. Well, no, it would never look like Blade Runner 2023 outside here because we don't live in a big city with smog and other pollution that just gets made worse by smoke. So, so it'll never look like that here. It would have to be pretty damn apocalyptic. Okay, because I kind of sound like that's how you were describing it. No. But, but anyway, that's, that's good. So, you know, that's been stressful. And then... That stressed me in the slightest, but anyway. Well, 
when I first remarked two weeks ago about the fact that we hadn't had blue skies in two weeks, you're like, we haven't? Yeah, because I've been sitting at my work staring at a blue sky. Yeah, it's been grey. A little hazy not- in the morning, but it gets hazy in the morning. Where I've been, it's been hazy in the afternoon I noticed, as well. I noticed it the other day, and it's kind of smelly outside. Yes, it smells like God's been smoking cigars. But then, you know, and that Wednesday, Stella woke up looking looking like Deadpool. That's right, she's changed into Ryan Reynolds. And quite frankly, I'm for the change. Make some money out of that. Apparently she's allergic to amoxicillin. Who knew? We didn't. We didn't because the kid's never been really sick before. It's the first time she ever caught anything that she needed antibiotics for. So imagine, dear listener, you're two days away from the end of school. You've got exams. And you're quite a studious child and you're quite proud of your your grades and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you come down and you look like you've got the plague. (laughs) And there's no way in the world that you can go into school that day. Oh, she was so distraught. She was. She was. Bless her heart. Yes, but by the end, by by the end of the doctor's appointment, when she got a steroid shot, she was making Barry Bonds jokes, and so all was well. But it was just, it was really stressful because, like I said, this kid. When I when I called the doctor's office, I realized she hadn't been seen since 2020. She hadn't had a physical since 2020. Hmm. Because she's a well kid. Amazingly, she's one of the only two of the people who live here who have had COVID. Thank you very much. That's that's you and her. Um, So she's had COVID. She's had strep once. And then she had a mystery rash like two years ago as well. And I think that's it. The kid's never been sick. It's not bad. Not bad at all. You'd take that. You would. Especially with this healthcare system that we have in this country. How have you been? I've been alright. You been alright? Yeah. Hey. Shall we preamble my dear then? Yes, please. Give us some of that allergic coding news. Sure. Congrats to Joe, Jatine and Sally Carmen for five lovely years together and including one year of marriage. Keep it up, you two crazy kids. Oh, so that's interesting. So that was that was back when we kind of kicked this off then. They were mm-hmm. dating back then? Yeah, well, shortly after she... I think it was shortly after she started the show. And then remember, it's, two, it's 2023. They were supposed to get married in 2020, three years ago. And they started dating like two years before that in 2018. It was so cute. She like posted like five yellow hearts on Insta the other day for it and everything. Moving on. Corey cleaned up at the Soap Awards. Get it? Cleaned up. Soap Awards. The diddle. With six trophies. Yeah, they earned more trophies than anybody else. Six trophies, including best dramatic performance, best single episode, scene of the year, best comedy performer, Best Newcomer, and Best Family. They won the panel awards, but the the ones that were voted by the public, I think all went to EastEnders. Well, and Best Soap, I think, was EastEnders, wasn't it? Best Soap was EastEnders, but nobody else got six awards. Mm. 
EastEnders, I think, got four. Doctors and... Um, doctors got one, yeah. That doctors was got one. Quite nice to see. And, uh, People watch Doctors then. Hollyoaks, I think, got two. And then the other one that starts with E got one. The Emmerdale. Yeah, Emmerdale. And that one wasn't broadcast. It was pre-broadcast, that award. It was, it was like weird a special because the whole, the whole uh, award ceremony was on Saturday. Right, and it wasn't broadcast till Tuesday. Right, and there was no embargo on the results. So right. it kind of spoiled itself for three days and then people had to pretend that they had no idea who had won just to try and get some enjoyment out of it. Well. I didn't watch it this year. I think I watched it last year. Mm-hmm. But knowing who won kind of, I don't know, it kind of spoils it. Yeah. Well, watching it gives you the pleasure of being shocked by Charlotte Jordan's actual voice. Well, I'd seen that already because she was in a Netflix kids TV show called Free Rain. Right. And I watched some of that to hear what her voice was in that. And it's... It, yeah, I noticed it's, that it's today. Not, it's not entirely different from her um, Daisy voice, but it's sufficiently um, different to be noteworthy. Yeah, people are like, oh, I didn't realise she was so posh in real life. She's kind of posh. Oh. Her name's Charlotte. People call Charlotte her posh. I noticed that on the Netflix earlier today. I was like, who is watching Free Rain? That'll be me. <laughs> Purely for research purposes, though. So. You don't like uh, horses. Uh, um, oh, no. I had to skip all the horse stuff. And finally, news, news we don't really want to be sharing because we wish it didn't exist, but here we are. Sad news. As we hear, Corey Legend, Julie Goodyear, our bet, has been diagnosed with dementia. Um, her husband making the announcement earlier this week and, and, you know, saying that they decided that they were going to make this public because they, they don't want people to be startled when they see her out in public and, right. and her possibly being confused and stuff. And that's so tough. It's so it's heartbreaking. It really is, and I think it's it's, it's weighing even heavier on people. I think because it's come as such a surprise. There was discussion, I think, even just in the last couple of weeks about when's Bet going to come back and mm-hmm. get a proper comeback in Coronation Street. You know, yeah. people were still calling for it. I don't think anyone was really expecting it, no. but, but still calling for it. Like right. now is the time to to bring Bet back, right? And then this news kind of dropped, which obviously yeah. I think puts the final, the final nail in in that idea. And it's a real shame because she was such a legend, and mm-hmm. she was such a legend. Well, she is such a legend. She's right. not died, you know. No. But um, in the show term, she was such a legend, and and was when you think of Coronation Street, you think bet. you think a bet. You, th- you probably think a bet even more than you think a Ken, hmm. even though Ken was in it for longer mm-hmm. and it's a real shame that her um her return to the show uh in the early 2000s that, that's recently been mm-hmm. shown on classic cory just didn't work out yeah and there's a number of reasons for that and there's plenty of speculation about you know all the kind of causes for it i think basically the workload was something that was just a bit too much for her right. and and the show had moved on from the 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 period of time that, that she was in it. Right. And it's maybe maybe a, a kind of an example of you can never really go back. Right. Sort of thing. So it's a shame that her swan song on the show wasn't 
wasn't more successful or mm-hmm. long or longer lasting than it was. But what a legacy she has to leave anyway. Yes. Just from from her, her time and just you know, providing so many so many incredible moments. I remember the the episode where the the rovers caught on fire and she was she was trapped inside. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting as a family watching that as a wee boy and being mm-hmm. terrified because Bet Lynch surely can't die in a in a fire on the show. And this was I think I think back when it was only on twice a week, so you had days to wait until the right. until the next episode. So so yeah, she'll always be Coronation Street for me and that's mm-hmm. a it's a real shame and a lot of love and well wishes from us to her family. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so tough, you know, when something well, it's it's tough for anyone, a diagnosis of dementia, but for someone who is in the public eye it's, it's especially difficult. I mean, um, you know, when we found out about Bruce Willis and everything and, and people were, you know, the paparazzi were still like shouting at him and, and trying to stick microphones in his face mm-hmm. and everything. And ah, it's just. And it's such a cruel disease. It and is. It's such a cruel disease for the person who has it and for the, the loved ones around right, about. Right, the family. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Well, yeah, so our hearts and our prayers are with them. Absolutely. And that's Corey News. Let's see who we have to thank this week on Will Podcast for Coffee. Woohoo! Thanks to Daisy and to French Helen who have become our first friends of the podcast. Ah, oui, oui, oui. That's just a thank you for Mer- French Helen. Merci beaucoup. I wonder why you're skipping over Daisy there. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, Daisy. Oh, maybe just stick with the wee, wee, wee then. <laughs> no, thank you so much, guys, for becoming friends of the podcast. Yes. We'll listen out at the end when your names will be in the, in the credits. Woohoo! And then thanks to friend of the podcast before friend of the podcast was a thing, John Giovinacci. He wrote to say, great interview with Chris. Here's a little something to help the MND Association in their fight against this bastard of a disease. Thank you so much, John, for your donation. We really appreciate it. Yes. We will match that donation as we send it on to the MND Association at the end of the month. Yes. And we will do that for every donation that we get in the month of June up to, let's say, 200 bucks. Sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we just won't drink any more coffee. I think we're just going to have to pay for our own. I think that's oh. what we're saying. Ah, we'll. The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think your show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it and you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month you can get a mention in the closing credits of every episode and as I said for the month of June all the money that's raised through that ko-fi.com link will be donated to the MND Association and we will match donations and now and then your work might yes I don't know because it's a British charity I think Mm. it might not and now this
Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about a sympathy lasagna. Lasagna. Sympathy lasagna. This is lasagna that you bring to your friend after their loved one dies. And the loved one who died last year was... Johnny? Are you even trying? <laughs> that's right, this was Bernie cooking a meal for Toya after Imran's death. Oh, that's right. I've blocked Imran's death out of my mind. I think there are lots of people in the same boat as you. Yes. I was Gavin and you didn't think running up that hill is Kate Bush's best song. That's true. It's still true. I'd always preferred the placebo version of it. So there. You were off it's on a your good song. You were off on your first camping trip of the year. I was camp enough. And we'd just been guitar shopping. Which one did we buy that? Oh, no, no. I got my cigar box guitar. Yes, that came up in my Facebook memories. Yeah, so when you were buying the cigar box guitar, I was buying... Yeah, and keeping it out of tune for the rest of its life. And torturing it to death. I I teaching it specially. You were looking to start playing the ukulele. Which reminds me, how's your Spanish coming along? (laughs) Summer struggles to concentrate and retain information and resorts to extreme measures during her final exam. That's when she started Uh, to cheat off uh, Addy. Sean introduces George to Frank, but it seems that the two of them went to school together and have an unhappy history. That was Frank the Wank making his uh, debut. Max takes an interest in cooking when... His weird, flirtatious style on Messenger pays dividends. Kathy is disappointed when Brian's idea of a date night turns out to involve substandard homebrew at the Rovers. Oh, Kathy, I miss Kathy. Me too. Planning a wedding during a house renovation proves too stressful for Fizz, and she looks for alternate accommodation. Under suspicion from her friends and the police, Toya decides to hide out at Cousin Kirsty's. Brian's eyebrow trimming is a job for two. Everything is the dance fault, and Ben might be looking for a new job. Our moment of the week was Peter and Leanne chatting about Toya's situation, and our boring moment of the week was Brian checking the temperature in Cornwall. And that was Coronation Street, and the talk of the street, this time last year. That's still boring. Isn't it? The temperature in Cornwall. We'll take a break, and be back with this week's recap. We're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? What was that? I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> uh, sure. Now, this is going to be, I think, the last time we do this. Oh, thank God. So, do you want to sing it? No. Do you want to sing along with me? No. Do you know the lyrics? I f- hate you. Just sing along if you know the words. Justin Stockings rides again. Again. I don't think anybody even gets the reference that you're trying to make here. One person does. <laughs> Sophie Cheekbones gets it. And nobody else. Nobody else gets and the so reference. And so long to that as YouTube one guy. person gets it, that YouTube guy. That YouTube guy. A little matter of the lead singer of the darkness, thank you very much. <laughs> so long as one person gets it, that's all it needs. In fact, it doesn't even need that, as so long as I get it. As long as I get it. <sighs> I love to give. <clears throat> anyway, Justin Stockings rides again, y'all. Which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Already? Yep. 
All right, troops. What do we think the verdict is on Justin? And I asked this before the verdict came through. Right. Guilty Malod was 69% and not guilty was 31%. So... Was there a third option? No. No. So it seemed that... Like insane or something? No, well, funnily enough, if if it was in Scotland, there would be the possible verdict of not proven. Uh But as we've established, this show is filmed in England. Hmm. So people were of the same opinion as us, I think, that the way that the the trial had been going, regardless of how anybody thought, we thought that Justin was going to be found guilty. So let's find out how that went. Daniel and Daisy are heading off to court for closing arguments and the verdict, but as they get in the car, Daniel notices a look between Daisy and Ryan, who's across the street getting into a taxi, and gives a little, hmm... And at this point, I'm like, there's no way in the world that Daniel is this observant. <laughs> and he's observant about something else later on that I don't believe either. Ah. In the court, Justin smiles up at Daisy from the dock. Daisy explains to Daniel that if Justin gets off, she's off skate. Yeah, she's already packed a bag. Yep. The prosecution make their closing argument about the stalking and how inevitable the outcome was thanks to the shitty police, particularly a PC tinker. <laughs> The jury must surely find Justin guilty as charged. Next up, it's the Scottish defence's turn. The Scottish lawyer makes the case that Daisy is a slag who lifts tail at the drop of a hat. What's more likely, that my creepy client did it or Ryan did it? You must find the defendant not guilty. So the jury goes out to deliberate and Daniel and Daisy go to Nina's roles and he brings up that look that the super observant Daniel had spotted. He asks if there's something going on that he doesn't know about. There's plenty going on that he doesn't know about. Well, yeah. But Daisy tells him it's the crystal thing that's beginning to weigh heavy on her. Crystal is the only thing keeping Ryan going right now. Isn't that the point, says Daniel. Daisy feels awful and doesn't know how she can keep going or how she can stop. Back at the court, the jury's still out. (laughs) Just stop. That's how you can stop. (laughs) Yes. And maybe, oh, if you have a time machine, you just don't start in the first place. Hmm. Back at court, the jury's still out. Daniel and Daisy meet Ryan and Carla. All right, Bob bags, she says. She and Daniel go off for a shite, which allows Daisy to apologise to Ryan for the kiss. But before anything can be discussed, we learn that the jury have reached their verdict. About time. And back in the courtroom, the verdict is delivered as... Guilty as charged, my lord. So as Justin is led away, he declares his undying love for Daisy... Like the the mask just slips off him, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, well, there's no point in pretending anymore. No. I'm clearly loopy, so I can shout up at Daisy all alike. Daniel says, Get him out of here. So Daniel looks out, looks put out that Daisy's instant reaction is to turn to Ryan to celebrate, albeit mutedly. We did it, Daisy says. It's over. And on the way out, Daisy nearly goes for Karen. Daniel shakes Ryan's hand and Carla mutters ball bags under her breath. Back at the rovers, Carla's in for a drink and she's worried about Ryan's reliance on this crystal character who seems to have stopped texting. She wants to give her a call but Daisy talks her out of it saying Ryan is unlikely to thank her. Carla thinks about it and agrees. So instead, Daisy goes round to see Ryan but he doesn't want to hang out with her and doesn't really want anything to do with her anymore. She wants to be mates, but he thinks it's best that they keep their distance and don't see each other anymore, and he asks her to stay away, and she's really stung by this. Mm. Back home, Daisy now 
is even more reluctant to stop texting as Crystal Daniel isn't comfortable that his fiance is having this kind of relationship and messing with Ryan's emotions. Haven't she, we already gone through this, Daniel? Yeah, she promises to stop once Ryan is strong enough and so she starts to write a text. Meanwhile, Ryan has just checked <laughs> Crystal's website and has seen an announcement from Crystal's assistant announcing that Crystal is in a coma following a car crash. And at this, Daisy's Crystal text arrives, claiming to be really busy and apologising for not being in touch. Ryan is confused for a moment, but then quickly susses out that he's been catfished, because <gasps> that's a verb now. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. That's very astute and, and intelligent of, of Ryan to immediately say, yeah, I've been... In, you well, know. it took a little minute, and I'm glad it took a little minute just to kind of put it all together in his head. Right. So this is, I think, the the equivalent or or what the show has gone for, where I expected Daisy to cut, not Daisy, Crystal to come back into the show and say, "I haven't been texting you." Right. Th- this is you disgust me. We've, thro- we've I dislike you. We've thrown her into a coma instead. Ah, the good old the reliable good old coma. Co- coma, right? As a number of people have pointed out on social media, Daisy's. An influencer, as she keeps on reminding us. On social media. Surely she would be all over Crystal's social media. website and social right. media to find out what's going on there. Because right. there is an off chance that Ryan's going to be be checking these things too. So mm-hmm. to make sure that maybe let's just check to make sure that Crystal's not in a coma before we start <laughs> sending any more texts Ryan's way. Right. Might have been a sensible thing to do. Yes. I'm happy that Justin's gotten put down. I'm 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 relieved. I still was just rolling my eyes and very disgusted by his lawyer saying, "Clearly, these two people were in cahoots and took some cleaners out of the back and mm-hmm. and threw it on him. Only the wind blew really hard back yep. in their face." Yep. I I do find the coma hilarious. Uh, as a coma you know. de coma, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Coma. Now we could spend, I don't know, two weeks of our lives thinking about another situation of why Crystal couldn't possibly have sent that text. And we could maybe drip feed this into the show over a period of weeks. Right. Or we could just put in a car crash that results in a coma. Right. That requires no thought. Correct. No drip feeding. No. Not in a coma one minute. She's in a coma the next. Yes. Yeah, it was a little bit. It was a little <laughs> bit easy, and it kind of felt, it felt so, so rushed because yeah. of it. I, as as pleased as I am that this has come to an end, because it's just so creepy and right and especially and it, in this situation where, let's all remember, Daisy sexually assaulted Ryan in the beginning. Well, there's that bit, and then there's a bit that's happening now where we are supposed to feel sympathy towards Daisy because she's had this horrible stalker for months, and she's had acid kind of hitting her on the chest. Right. She's not got out of this whole thing unscathed, and and we are rightly expected to be sympathetic to her. And then she does this, where she's catfishing Ryan, and would you call it catfishing if she's... If her intentions are what they are, does that is that still is catfishing? Does that just mean impersonating somebody, or does it have to be a romantic overture attached to it? Let's 
let's let's all remember Ryan has definitely attached a romantic overture to this, and Daisy is not unaware of that. She knows this, right? Yes. Right. So yeah, I would call it catfishing, even if the intentions are good, because it's creepy as fuck. Yeah. So there's the thing that we don't feel sympathy towards her for. Right. Yeah. So having those two things kind of going head to head with each other, mm-hmm. it does make it really difficult to figure out how you're supposed to feel about this because one way is really sympathetic and one way isn't yeah yeah Mm. it's 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 kind of like what we'll be talking about later on when it comes to sarah (laughs) where we are sympathetic god right yeah in in some aspects and absolutely not sympathetic in others right on Wednesday, Ryan is at home trying to put all the pieces together but not remembering how Daisy knew about his plans to go to Ibiza somehow. Because that's really the clue, isn't it? Remember when Daisy came in and said, oh, is that you going to Ibiza then? Uh-huh. And he's like, how do you know that? And she made up some cock and bill story well, because, because his it laptop was, right, was open. Yeah, his laptop was open but on the page. But how she really knew was because of the text. Right. He just can't figure out why someone would go to this effort to catfish him. And as he talks about it, he realises what an idiot he's been because... He hasn't spoken to her. No. She never answers the, f- answers the phone. Right. She said she was busy. Carla wants to know who's behind this and go to the police about it. And later in the Rovers, Daisy's checking her phone as a text com- comes in from Ryan on the Crystal Chat thread saying, Who, Who this? are you? <laughs> Who this? Daisy shuts herself and she further shuts herself when Carla comes in. And Carla explains about Ryan being catfished and the real Crystal being an actual, in an actual coma. She's making it her mission to find out who is pretending to be Crystal. Gulp, says Daisy. So she goes round to check on Ryan, despite they've got this thing where they're supposed right. to be staying out of each other's, other's way. Right. But this is on the pretense to see how he is after the catfishing. But really, it's to plant a seed that she knows who did it. Mm. It's obvious. It's Justin and Karen. Mm. In an attempt to get information out of him for the trial. Mm. None of this makes sense. Well, and it makes no sense to Ryan either. But Daisy says this is Justin's MO, who, let's remember, went out with her mum. Ryan seems to come round to the suggestion. Daisy tells him, Look, the best thing that you can do here is just draw a line under it and move on. So later, Carla and Ryan are talking about this theory. Carla wants to go to the police, but Ryan isn't sure this is even illegal. And besides, he's had a belly full of it and feels like a mug. He'd rather just forget it. After all, how could someone like Crystal be interested in him? And he goes to delete her number from his phone, but then seems to hang off. I thought he deleted it. No, his thumb just hovered over the delete button and he never really committed to it. Hmm. It's an interesting point, though. Is it illegal? Probably not. Pretending to be somebody, you're not trying to con them out of money or anything. (coughs) I guess there's instances where maybe that's true. Right, yeah. I mean, there are thousands of incidences. I mean, this is... Essentially, what catfishing is for is for conning money out of people. So that is definitely illegal. But just pretending to be someone to make someone feel better. I don't know if that's necessarily Mm. illegal. I would say that's a gray area. I mean, if stalking is not illegal. I was just about to say, if the police aren't interested, sorry, if PC Tinker isn't interested in the stalking thing. He wasn't the only one. He's not even going to understand what this is. I mean, remember the other creepy cop who started following Daisy <laughs> immediately afterwards? Yep. Creepy Subscribed AF. To her, to her Instagram or whatever, wasn't it? Right. On Friday, 
at number one, Daisy is doing a personality test in this month's Hiya magazine to determine whether she's a manipulative bitch or not. The results are conclusive. It was hilarious. Are you a horrible person? Can you imagine that being a real quiz? Are you a whore? Yes or no? Are you you a a horrible family? Are you a horrible person? Yes or no? (laughs) Imagine needing a quiz to figure out whether or not you're a horrible person. Right. This looked very scientific. Just yes, no answers. If you have seven or more yeses, you are a horrible person. Mm -hmm. Do you donate to charity? Are you kind to animals? No, I am not kind to animals. No, I do not donate to charity. Yes, I have been indicted on 38 counts. (laughs) Was it 38 now? It is 38 now. Excellent. The results are conclusive. Daniel thinks blaming Justin Carn for the catfishing was a brilliant idea. Where Where does Daniel leave his morals at the end of the day, do you think? With his penis? I don't think that these are helping his penis any. I think this is... He, he casts his morals aside when it comes to the person he is having sexual intercourse with. Now, I'm going to say something that might shock you, Helen. I don't like Daniel. <laughs> what? And he has been an absolute prick this week. Hmm. He's a prick here with, this, with his stance on... Blaming Justin and Karen so Daisy gets uh-huh. away with it. Thing, right. Which is, it's just icky. I mean, the whole thing is icky, but yeah. then blaming other people for it who, well, who granted, you know they are horrible. It, who are horrible people. But just so you look better is, is mm. icky. Mm. And he has the, um, when Daisy's opening up to him and saying that Ryan is coming to rely on Crystal and all that sort of thing, he's like, well, isn't that the point? Remember when he was so offended by this whole thing? Right. He wants to keep getting his hole. That one's just for you, Dan. Again, I don't think that's helping him because he's just coming across as being a a bit of a shitbag. It it is because it's in support of the person he wants to have sex with. I don't know if she sees it that way. Anyway, Daisy feels dirty about it and not in a good way. So she goes to see Ryan Again, after them promising to stay away from each other. That staying away from each other thing is clearly working well. Mm. Ryan seems to have gotten over the catfish thing and has learned that Crystal is out of the coma. Well, thank God for that. Ryan again reminds Daisy that it's best if they stay away from each other. Well, if that's what you want, says Daisy. Yes, that's what I want. And I have communicated this to you several times, says Ryan. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Do you still sense a, a bit of sexual tension between... The two of them, between Ryan and Daisy. I never did. You don't feel it? No. You don't think that she clearly is after a relationship with him? I mean, she is. <laughs> but I don't feel any sexual tension between the two of them. It, 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 it feels more like survivor's guilt than anything. Yeah, it's a thing that people have been saying to her for weeks and have right. planted the seed in their head that they're couldn't be connected forever right yeah and have this this th- thing in common yeah it, with just, each other. it doesn't feel romantic to me though even that kiss just felt it did not feel romantic to me the and kiss ryan, felt pitiful is what the yeah. kiss was she and felt Ra- sorry for him and ryan clearly is not interested well he must be looking at and thinking she She's just messing with my head. Right. Because that's 
what history has told him about her. Right. And seeing seeing that happen now and having that kiss now just to confuse matters, he seems to be taking the only course of action that is good for his his health more than anything else, which is just to try and distance himself right. from her as much as he can. But she's on Monday they agreed to stay up each other's way and they didn't do that on Wednesday and they didn't do that on Friday. Right, so but that wasn't so Ryan, working. that was her. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And again, it feels more led by the psychology of it all as opposed to, you know, the oxytocin of it all, so to speak. Hmm. I don't know that Carol's going to let this go as, as easily as, as, as Ryan, Ryan no. has, but I don't know where she even begins to try and track this down right i mean where do you start you could go to the police but you don't really have anything apart from some no. text from a right from an old number which i guess could be quite easily tracked back to right Daisy. yeah but are we really going to put police resources on that when we wouldn't put police resources on stalking oh no i'm, I'm not suggesting for a moment that they do but it's an easily solved one perhaps if she does Decide to go against Ryan's wishes and and not let it go, and go and try and um, try and get some justice here. But if he's not in on it, if he's not mm-hmm. game for it, there's absolutely no point. Mm. And also, it's not illegal. And it's probably not illegal, right? Mm. So our next storyline tonight is Mad Max Beyond Racism Dome, and my first note from Monday has disappeared. Helen, why don't you tell us how this story starts? On Monday. Let's set the scene. It's the backyard. Where, where a sinkhole definitely isn't. Right. And, and the backyard seems smaller now. It's toty. It's so small now. Yeah. And David and Lily are, are playing soccer and or football, as it's called most places. And, um, and, and, and David and Shona are chatting about, you know, some good news that they're going to have, you know, something good is going to happen. And Alia is hanging out the wash next door and she says, oh, very innocently, what's your good news then? And Shona looks at David, David looks at Shona and they both say, Mark's going out soon. And Alia says, oh, what now? And Yasmin says, you mean, you mean the guy who got Alia stabbed? And Lily says, Max stabbed Lil- Max stabbed Alia? And they're like, no, 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 no. It's much more complicated than that. And then Yasmin and Alia storm away, very distraught that Max may be getting out. Word for word what I had written down, I think. Word. So, so later, David is at the Young Offenders place ahead of the review and is about as excited as Gav was about uh, Max perhaps getting released, but Max is not excited about that at all not at all but early release must be granted <clears throat> max goes back to his room to pack gav comes along again and must be high or something he gets <laughs> max to promise to stay in touch and to find gav's bird and tell her how much of a brilliant guy gav is oh gav yeah and and find out why she hasn't been returning his phone calls they do a predator handshake see you on the outside Later, David is getting impatient when someone comes along to explain there's been a bit of a situation. Max is refusing to leave until he's finished season one of How I Met Your Mother on DVD. <laughs> so David goes to get him, but Max doesn't see the point in going home. He wants to stay for the rest of his sentence and maybe a little bit longer. No one on the street wants him there. They all hate him. They've all seen the videos. 
He wants to move somewhere where no one knows him. Yeah, well, you can't, says David. Now, move your arse. So they get home, and Gayla is quite subdued about uh, Max's return, which annoys David, and Lily is just flat out ignoring him, which further annoys David. Gail tells him to get used to reactions like that. Gail Gail reminds me of my mother this week, in both this storyline and the other storyline. She reminds me of my mother as well. (laughs) Which I think is a good thing. Gail is behaving like a mother here. Right, yeah. Well, you made your bed. Oh, not you back, is it? Mm-hmm. 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 I'm so, you, oh, you're sorry? Yeah, well, you should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Gail would still do anything for this boy. Absolutely. Still loves the bones of him. Yes. But she's not prepared to make this easy for him. No, one nor should bit. she. And nor should she. And finally, in this story and in a story later on, we get a version of Gail here who's like an actual proper human being. Right, and not a walking uh, Kirk with a wig. (laughs) Kirk with a Walkman singing along to songs in the pub type thing. Right, or getting jiggly boxes. No, no, the jiggly box this week went to Tim. (laughs) Right. No, this is is good Gale. And when we get good Gale and people... People like you mm-hmm. always cast up that fucking monologue that I hate. Mm-hmm. But when we get the Gale that's more in line with that, right. which I think this is the, more, the kind of yes. more serious side of it, mm-hmm. it's like, what a good character she is. Yes. Let's give her more of this and yes. let's give her less of the Kirk stuff because that's right. what we've got Kirk for. Right. We don't need a female Kirk. We have Mary. That's, that's chalk and cheese though, isn't it? mm which I learned this week isn't a universal phrase. Yeah, it's not. I said at a meeting this week, well, it's kind of like chalk and cheese, isn't it? And people are like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> well, you know how chalk's not like cheese? Yes. Well, it's like that. And I was, 11 years I've been here and I'm, and I, I'm still finding phrases that aren't liftable from one version of English into another. Oh well. I know what chocolate cheese, cheese means. Right. Yes. So later, David is getting impatient when someone comes along to explain there's a bit of a... Si- no, no, we've already <laughs> totally. talked about that. Already said. And now Corey News. <laughs> Out back, Max speaks to Lily. He admits to wrongdoings and his stupidity. But unlike David, he doesn't blame grooming and instead takes responsibility. Lily asks if he's changed and he says that he has. So Lily says, good, because you're a fucking racist. And right. leaves them to it. Yeah, that was great. He's like, no, I have changed. I even have a black friend now. Right. He doesn't say that, but no. he, he's, he's thinking, thinking it. it. Yeah, he's thinking it. <laughs> then on the street, David bumps into Alia and Yasmin, and David seems oddly dismissive of their concerns. Yasmin points out that they live next door, speed dial just across the street, the Alahans and the Baileys are close by too. Yasmin recommends staying out of everyone's way. David is, I guess, a bit of a typical parent here as well. Maybe a a different typical parent from Gail, but he's so excited about having Max back and is elated about it. Right. And doesn't appreciate that not everybody is going to feel like that. Right. So he's he's bobbing along quite happy making Mm -hmm. jokes and stuff and everyone else is like, you just need to read the fucking room here, pal. Yeah. And he does that again on Wednesday when at number eight, Max has been fitted with an electronic tag. 
David thinks it's hilarious and cracks jokes. Max confirms to the, the police officer that he understands the conditions, that he's not allowed out of the house at night or within 50 yards of speed dial that's right across the street. But the first thing he does is he goes out and he heads over to speed dial where he hands a letter over to a delivery guy and asks him to give it to Alia. And later, Alia gets a letter and is less than impressed when she reads it. Yasmin sees that she's upset. Alia explains it's from Max and he's sorry for everything that happened. Too right he's sorry, says Alia, and she storms off. And she hammers on number eight's door. Max is heading home anyway and sees her. And Alia makes it abundantly clear that she doesn't forgive him or his racist mates. And she never will forgive him. She's dragged away by Gary and Yasmin, leaving Max to think, well, that didn't go well. Yeah. And later Gary finds Max in the community garden and they have a chat. Max insists that he really is sorry and if he could change the past he would. Gary tells him that he can't just expect people to believe him and he has to earn their trust again. And maybe even when he tries to do that, maybe it's not going to be enough and it's not going to be possible for people to trust him anymore. And that has and to that, be okay. And that has to be okay and he has to live with it. Meanwhile, everyone wonders what changed for Gary, who was probably the most vocal resident who wanted Max hung, drawn and quartered, seen as it was Maria, who was really his target. Maybe Gary sees a little bit of himself in Max. Right, yes. Ugh. Because Gary has actually killed. It was hilarious when he's like, well, you know, I've done I've done some bad things in my time. And Max is like, oh, really, what? Yep. And he's like, never mind all that. And for a second, I misremembered and thought that it was Gary who had knocked David out. But it was David who knocked Gary out. Yeah. So, because at first I was like, well, for one, I, put your, I knocked your dad out. But it was like, no, no, no. The dad knocked Gary out. God, remember when that happened? Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Now, Alia's reaction here, does this fly in the face of what she said to Max when she went to visit him in prison? Because remember, oh God, do you remember that Alia was pressurised into all the males on right. the show formed an orderly line. To tell Alia she had to... She had to make Max feel better about himself. Yeah, Max isn't feeling good about this, so you should go to the young offenders and, and talk them round and tell them that you forgive them and all that sort of stuff. And she went and she told him, it's not that I don't forgive you, Max. It's just that I don't care. Right. And she gave him a, a very good speech, I think, mm-hmm. about how he's had everything given to him, handed to him on a plate, more right. or less, apart from the whole... Mother getting stabbed and all that stuff. Right, yeah. <coughs> but you've been brought up in a, you've been brought up in a, a family home. who loves you, who will do anything for you, mm-hmm. and all the people that have told you that, um, you know, that they wanted to do right back. Well, maybe you should have listened to them. Yeah. And then she left them to it. But the version of Alia that we're seeing here is one where she, she really hasn't dealt with it. It sounded like when she met him, she. She'd had this was her dealing with it. Now, but it didn't feel like she had she has dealt with it to that extent. Here's now. The, here's the thing. It's one thing. She it, it feels like she felt like she had drawn a line under it when she did that right. with him and young offenders. And she had told him, I don't care about you your forgiveness and you being sorry and everything. And also she did that at the young offenders with lots of guards around. Mm-hmm. In a secure location. She was not expecting him to get out as soon as he did. I think that has really jarred her. And that's okay. Mm. 
And I think that's why she reacted the way she did is because she was not, she was not prepared. She was not given time to prepare herself for him to get out early, which is kind of inexcusable of the justice system not to, you know, give her a heads up. Oh, by the way, this kid that endangered your life is getting out of, is possibly getting out of jail soon, you know. And he did get six months and he did plead guilty and he kept his nose clean. Right. So getting out three months later is entirely in keeping with expectations. But the fact that they haven't told her of that. Right. And they haven't even explained this as being a possibility is, is, is probably, yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a, the big difference there because i was thinking that maybe from max's point of view he thinks that she's angry at him maybe uh-huh. but not scared of him right and now i think he maybe thinks that she's still scared of me and she has every right to be scared after what right. happened she explains in another storyline that we'll get to right that she said i was stabbed and i was blown up right and that's starting to feel a little bit like a punchline. It's a punchline right. that we've kind of... Yeah, we've made that we, punchline. We've, we've joked about the, but the fact that she's loved it and she's making the, the same mm-hmm. the same punchline, but it's it's true. She had a really bad month that month. Right, right? yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it also kind of feels like him getting out has kind of given her a reckoning moment as well. As if she hasn't really dealt with it as well as she thought she had. Yes. She thought that she had put it behind her. But then again, remember when they were going to defend that guy who stabbed someone? And so, I, yeah. And and that's okay. I think that's that's the nature of trauma, isn't it? Right. That... You can think that you've dealt with it. You can think that you're fine, and then something happens that triggers it all over again. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it's kind of like grief that way. Yes. So I, I feel like this is completely believable and in line with Alia. Now, being a man who has sorted a woman's problem, Gary goes to Spidal and tells Alia that she doesn't need to worry anymore. Max won't be bothering her again, thanks to things that I've said. Later, Max is on his way home and on the phone to Gav, who wants to know if he's tracked down his bird yet. Yeah, Max, I think you can expect these calls on a daily basis now. I think Gav is that sort of character. But Max has to cut the call short because the pigs are outside number eight. Uh-oh. Are you here for me? He asks. Well, they're no fucking here for me, says Gail. Turns out the tag either bleeped when he was close to speed dial or Alia's grassed him up. Either way, Shona is furious. Max promises that it'll never happen again and he'll be keeping his head down from now on. For some reason, given that someone got stabbed last time, this is good enough for the cops, probably because Max is white. Shona has the right idea and threatens to chain Max to the radiator like a hostage from the 1980s. Right. And nobody blinks an eye and says, wait, ma'am, you can't chain children to the radiator. (laughs) I think they, they implicitly approve of that. That's what it sounds like. Gail certainly approves. <clears throat> On Friday, David is coming back from the shops with ingredients for a Victoria sponge. Ooh. This is Shona's idea, which is to get Max bacon. But Max thinks that <laughs> but he needs not like that. <laughs> Max thinks he needs to clear his head and he wanders off. So he's tracked down Becca, Gav's bird. She stays in one of the flats at the precinct by the looks of things. Yes. She's a feisty one. 
She says, if you're here to chat me up, I've heard them all before. Yep. Max introduces himself as Gav's mate, and he hopes that she'll let him keep his promise, which was to get in touch with her and give him give her the big Gav such a great guy speech. Right. Which, I, which I don't think Max has practiced. So Max takes Becca to Nina Rolls, who immediately orders the breakfast challenge, which means if she eats it all within 25 minutes, it's on the house. I didn't know Nina Rolls did that. No, me neither. Becca thinks that she's won the challenge with seconds to spare, and she's about to head off, but Bernie finds a tater tot, I think, that's behind the Tommy K. So it turns out that she's failed, and she needs to pay for it, and it's 16 quid. See, that's kind of <clears> ridiculous. That's kind of... There is no restaurant. all the other stuff. There is no restaurant that would say that that wasn't completed. Yeah. Because if if word got out that you were... That you weren't paying out when they hadn't eaten a single tater tot that right. had fallen off the plate that you didn't right. know about. Yeah. That's that's Bernie being a... Being, being shenanigans there, I think. That would definitely be shenanigans called on that. Yeah. Nina would have given it to them. Yep. And Roy. So... Bernie wants a 16 quid, Baker has no money, and gives Max a number, says that she'll think about the whole gaff thing, and then she runs out. Bernie gives Max the marigolds and directs him to the dishes. And that's as far as we get with that this week. And that was fun. <coughs> what do you think of Becca? I like her. I like her too. I like her a lot. I think... She's another one who seems to think that Max is gay. Well, remember... Even Gav said, you know, girlfriend? Girlfriend, boyfriend, yep. Boyfriend? I can't remember what Becca said, but it was something along those lines. It was yeah, it was of... she or he. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of thing. And, I mean, fair enough. That's what the kids are like these days, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> because yes, it's I've, like, n- I've never felt so old. What else? <laughs> Whichever way you swing, I'm just going to cover all my bases. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> you know, kids kids don't like to assume these things anymore. And neither should they. Happy Pride, everyone. <laughs> Happy Pat Pride. Robertson is dead. <laughs> Burning in hell as we speak. We got a comment uh, that I just noticed tonight. Somebody saying, oh, fuck off with that unnecessary bloody Pride shite. Yeah. Uh-huh. Go back in the closet, little man. It's right. it's fine. It's there for a month. Get right. used to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Get over your nobody's forcing you to be gay. Nobody's forcing you to watch anything gay or do anything gay or see anything gay. It's just a rainbow on your Twitter feed. Shut up. <laughs> right. Later on in the year it'll be pink for breast cancer month. Right. So so what, right? Right. But yeah, as as much of an ally as as I possibly can be, uh-huh. it's still when the kids are talking about how nobody's straight at their high school and right. stuff. Was like, this is so different from my experience as a kid. And talking about the difference between asexual and aromantic and all these other like side things and specificities and stuff. It's like, okay, explain this to me <laughs> as if I'm stupid. <laughs> What's the difference? Oh, okay, that's the difference. All right. You know, God bless them. God bless the kids. 
They're, yeah. The kids are all right. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like Becca. I wonder if if the, the the course that this is going to be going on is is that, Max and mm-hmm. Becca are going to hook up, mm-hmm. and Gav's not going to be happy. Right. And nor should he. But the thing that I want Gav to be unhappy about is the fact that his pal here made racist videos and was indirectly responsible for an explosion and a stabbing. Right. That's what I want him to find out. Maybe he finds out both, but I'd prefer him to find out the first thing because then that's going to force Max to have the conversation that he's not really having here. No. He can regret what he's done. Right. But he's not really examining why he did it or what his thoughts were at the time. Right. I don't know if he's reconciled any of that with himself or not. Yeah. And maybe that would force the issue a little bit. Yeah. When you've got your friend who is black. Right. Realising that you've done some horrible racist shit in the past. And And you had horrible racist beliefs. And making you account for that. Right. Maybe that's what he needs. Yeah. Rather than you stole my girlfriend. Right. I don't know if the show is that deep, though. <laughs> I think it tries. Yeah, it tries. But it doesn't dig too deep. Again, let's remember in the previous storyline that we talked about, there is yet to be a reckoning of the fact that Daisy sexually assaulted Ryan. And there never will be. It's going as close to doing that as it, I think it possibly can. Right. Because to go any further is to really build on what Daisy said when she said, I'm not that person anymore. Right. No shit, you're not that person anymore. No. Let's examine how you're not that person anymore. Yeah, and but if they don't have that reckoning, they're not going to understand why nobody's okay with the Daisy-Ryan getting back together thing. Because mm-hmm. nobody's okay with that. No, I would much rather she sticks with Daniel. Right. As unhappy as that would make me. Or I, just become single. Right. That would be... Move to a nunnery. That would be the preferable way. Get these to a nunnery. <laughs> right. Moving on then to our next storyline is Freddy's Newts. Just a few uh, scenes from this on Monday. Evelyn turns up at the hospital to see Roy and is disappointed to see that Yasmin's already there but on her way out. And then just as Evelyn's getting settled, Nina shows up. Evelyn thinks that she's surplus to requirements. Roy tells her that she's been ridiculous, so she agrees to come back to pick him up ahead of his release. And this gives Nina and Roy a chance to chat. They've actually a really lovely conversation where the you know, Nina is no stranger to hospitals and, and stuff and mm-hmm. she's lost her loved ones and Roy mm-hmm. is really the only family that she has left and right. she's obviously worried and, about and, that. And, and talking about her dad's illness and how he kept it from her for the longest time mm-hmm. and so she really didn't have an awful lot of time to prepare for it and everything. But then he says that he's got a good few miles left in him. Yes. And he's not going anywhere yet, which Nor is something he. that he has no control over. <laughs> Later, Evelyn turns up after Nina has gone. Roy asks a favour for Evelyn about Freddy and wonders if she'll look after the dog until he's better. She thinks this is a bloody liberty. Fine, says Roy. I'll ask Yasmin. No, it's fine, I said, says Evelyn. <laughs> after all, I'm much more of a dog person. So she agrees and then hands back his stupid death letters. And as far as we know, 
just storms out of the hospital, leaving Roy in her wake. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. I was disappointed that we didn't get more of that. No. Um, and, and Roy has the anorak back wrapped in lovely pink tissue paper. He does, thank God. And he says, nobody does this sort of thing anymore. Oh, it's just anoraks and pink tissue paper. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would have liked more. It's how much have Evelyn's feelings been hurt by... Unintentionally. Ya- by Yasmin being there. Right, yeah. It, your feelings don't need to earn the hurt that they feel. Right. But there really is no reason for Evelyn to feel upset about this, no, is there? No, She feels so said, put out to have to share Roy with anyone. As you said last week... Yasmin is perfectly happy with Stu, so right. So there's no threat coming from from there. Stu, who's pixelated newts, I unfortunately <laughs> had to see in Ted Lasso. Did you see them unpixelated? No. Okay. No, they were they were pixelated on on the Ted Lasso, but still, Stu in shorts, <laughs> Stu in short shorts. No. Stu's knees. That has happened to me in the past, playing soccer in goal diving to save a penalty and I had a little bit of a wardrobe malfunction <laughs> yeah it happens to the best of us and Stu <laughs> and me so yeah so there's no real reason for her to be jealous about this yeah she's also kind of put out by Nina showing up like oh I've got a you know that was the weird one so it's She's jealous she, of she just, everyone that's she in just Roy's life. wants to have Roy to herself as much as possible, which I can understand. I'd rather Roy had the people that he has in his life right. than just Evelyn. Right. Because just Evelyn's not enough. But I think what the, the letters have got us to a point where she knows how he feels now. He doesn't yeah. know that she knows how right. he feels, but he knows how he feels. Yes. And he feels that she is a wonderfully warm and kind-hearted friend. Right. Somebody that you definitely want to have on your on side. On your corner, yeah. But she hides it behind this facade of right. being nasty and grumpy and right. ill-tempered and yes. a bit of an ice maiden. Yes. And he kind of says, you've, you've, you're going back to, to being that. Right. This week, which she absolutely yeah. was. She, he po- <clears throat> point blank tells her she's rude. Right. So... So maybe there has been a little progression, albeit mm-hmm. very, very slightly, where <clears throat> their understanding of each other has maybe refined just a little bit. Mm. Let's move on to Tim's mum about the house. How much does Joe Dutine like? walking around in just a bathrobe on set how many storylines have we had with him wearing just a bathrobe i fear there are stories to come out about this <laughs> on monday and then there's rolls aggies with ed and ronnie there's a japanese tasting menu on at the rape hotel later and ronnie invites them both along anything for a free meal ed and aggie agree but not before there's a little dig to remind us all that aggie can't fucking cook <sighs> At the Rape Hotel, Ed and Aggie meet up with Ronnie and Debbie. 
They're all getting on famously. The development that Ed's been working on is nearly finished, we'll learn. How? <coughs> and they're looking forward to the tasting menu when a loud Karen appears, complaining to a waitress, and wouldn't you know it, she knows Aggie and Ed. This is Yvette and Patrick, her husband, who know the Baileys from before they moved to Coronation Street. Now, you, f- you may remember before yes. the Baileys moved to Coronation Street, they were in a big, lovely house. They're both nightmares and invite themselves along to join uh, yeah, them the at table, their table at the tasting menu. And it turns out they don't know where Ed and Aggie live now and no. they've lost a number or something and Ed and Aggie are reluctant to tell them because they are Mahaki nightmares. Yes, and also because <clears throat> they feel a little ashamed. You know, like the dude brings up uh, gambling and Ed's like, oh, I don't do that anymore. Right. You Afterwards, know. Ed and Aggie are ready to kill Yvette pressures Aggie into giving out her new phone number and threatens her promises to get in touch soon to meet up with Aggie in her new abode, Chez Bailey. On Wednesday, this whole thing felt kind of convoluted, so bear with me. So Dee Dee learns about Yvette wanting to meet up and suggests that if they want to have a meal together, they should go out for it, if they're embarrassed about their smaller house. But so the story can happen, Ed says that Aggie refuses because Yvette wants to relive the dinner parties of old. Now, if they had dinner parties of old, could Aggie cook back then? Yeah. Yeah. There's... There is... There is a disconnect here. And this disconnect will continue throughout the story. These people seem to really enjoy Aggie's cooking. Yeah. Do, and they don't seem like the kind of people that if they didn't enjoy it, nope. they wouldn't tell you that they no. don't enjoy <clears> it. <throat> no, some. <clears throat> yeah, we're very confused I'm here. I'm very confused here. Tim and Sally are in Nina's roles. He's on the phone to Faye, who apparently is living her best life in checks notes slough. They get chatting to Aggie, who tells them about her snobby friends. Sally hates snobbishness. Yes, she does. And Tim double takes. She hates it as much as I do. Aggie's... Gav double takes. Aggie says they've downsized a lot and they won't be impressed by their new house on Coronation Street. Their house is lovely. Yeah, but it's Toti and Yvette and and the guy. Patrick. Yes, we're talking about how they brought like a bag of stuff to the charity shop recently in that area in Weatherfield and were like making rude comments about it being like a gulag or something. Oh yeah, that hasn't and every, happened yet. And everybody has rickets. So Tim has. Didn't a that great... happen in the rape hotel? No, this happens in the next scene, I think. No, because <clears throat> no. it happens twice. So Tim has a great idea and suggests to Aggie that they use number four for their dinner party, as they have a fancy conservatory. Wait, what? Says Sally. No, really, what? Aggie realizes that Sally would rather die, so politely declines and opts to tell the truth instead. Tim and his great ideas. Aggie's in the precinct later when she runs into a vet who's slumming it at the charity shop. Aggie is forced to bring up the subject of the dinner party, so they arrange to go to the Rovers to compare calendars. But Aggie isn't in the Rovers later when we see them. It's Ed who's in with the vet. Aggie apparently had to go to work. Yvette asks for the wine list and Glenda has it committed to memory. You're white, you're red, you're rosy. Sally and Tim are in the neighbor neighbouring booth and overhear Yvette complaining about being grim up north and people looking like they have rickets. So when Yvette heads off for a shite, Sally quickly tells Ed that he and Aggie can use number four after all. 
under the pretense that it's a rental while their old house has been renovated. Bewildered, Ed goes along with it and a dinner party is arranged for tomorrow night. I told you it was convoluted. Yeah. On Friday, at home, Ed is working on the menu for tonight and has already told Aggie that she can't cook. It's weird that this didn't come up during any of the previous dinner parties with Yvette and Patrick, but anyway, Aggie is super pissed off. Sally's idea to lend the house to Aggie and Ed starts to backfire early as Aggie has to go around the house hiding all the photos of Sally and Tim. Right. Which does make sense. And Sally's like, why wouldn't you have pictures of us around your house? <laughs> then David appears with a package for Tim that has been vibrating. And when we find never out nothing find else out about this vibrating package. Well, we know exactly what it is. He was in his bathrobe, let's remember. I. Well, he wasn't in his bathrobe. He was in... Sally's bathrobe. Yeah, I'd be washing that if I were you, and Sally. And slippers. At Sally's, Aggie is cremating a brisket. Sally is obviously getting in the way and fishes for an invite to the dinner party that doesn't go noticed by Aggie, who is now doing her best to set fire to custard. Later, at Sally's, Ed has dressed up like a pornographer, and Tim comes down the stairs of Discovery wearing Sally's dress and gown and slippers. Aggie asks him to put clothes on and leave with Sally, but then Tim's mum comes in for a visit. Everybody leave, yells Aggie. Not you, Ed. <laughs> in the huff, Sally, Tim and Tim's mum, but not Ed, go to leave. But it's too late because Patrick and Yvette have just wandered into a stranger's house like that TikTok prankster, Mizzy. <laughs> so, Tim's, Tim's mum is staying with them, isn't she? Until their, her house with, with Stephen, the murderer. I thought she'd moved ready? out again. I can't remember. Honestly, I have no idea. No, because she sold her house and they're buying this other house. Oh, so yes. she has to stay with them. Because she says, why do I have to leave? I live here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's right. You do. Aggie introduces everyone as neighbours and Ed explains that Tim is here for the hot tub. Quick thinking, Edison. Yes. Tim's mum oddly seems to suss what's going on and plays along, suggesting that everyone goes home. But Patrick asks Sally to stay while Tim goes to get changed in a house that isn't his, that doesn't have any of his clothes in it. And we don't find out what he does. We see him leave the house and stand in the path, but where does he go where after he... that? Where does he go? <laughs> we see we see Michael uh, Wolf whistle at him, uh -huh. and which then is we, hilarious. But he's standing in his garden path in Sally's lovely dressing gown. And slippers. <clears throat> So where does he go? Somebody says to him to go to Steve's. Right. Go borrow some clothes from Steve. And where's the vibrator? <laughs> Up to the vibrator. <laughs> Sally seems to be quite taken with Patrick and the vet and the opportunity to brag about her own house as a third-person viewer. The dinner party is continuing for some reason. Ed can't hide that he has no idea where anything is, but he knows the brisket is ready from the smoke that's coming out of the oven. Sally, meanwhile, is making such a big deal about the house that Yvette thinks that she's on commission. Regardless of how the evening is going, Yvette would find something to passively, aggressively complain about, one would assume. Yes. So the two of them finally leave and make arrangements to meet tomorrow at the bistro for a charity auction that Yvette has organised. Isn't that funny that Yvette hasn't been in anywhere near Ed and Aggie, apparently for years, but all of a sudden she's at the charity shop and then she's going to be at the bistro on Monday. Right, yeah. This <clears> makes <throat> me think that they themselves have hit hard times as well. Charity and, shop, right enough. And and are, are living are living in the precinct. Oh, maybe. Mm. That would be Which good. would be falling even farther. <clears throat> yes, I would like that. 
So, uh, she looks forward to hearing more about Aggie's new house. Sally fucks off to the pub, telling Aggie that she'll be back once they've finished cleaning up. And that's right. as far as we get with that this She's week. Like, and if that <clears throat> stove don't shine like the top of the Chrysler building. This was a fun storyline. It was. It was. I like when they remember the Baileys exist. A little bit of farce. We're remembering that Tim and Aggie have a friendship. Yes. That was nice. That was nice to remember that it's still yes. a thing. That, yes. the, that Tim, upon hearing that Aggie's not in the best of moods, will ask her what's wrong. Right. And is there something that I can help you with? Mm-hmm. And, and that, then figure and out nice. a solution to Aggie's problem. <clears throat> and not check with Sally first. <laughs> right. And then we have Arabella Weir playing Yvette, who I think most people in the UK have been a fan of for a number of years. She was in the Fast Show, is I think where I first saw her. She's a mm-hmm. great comedy actress. I thought she was fantastic in this as a character who was like, but not entirely like, Phil with two L's mum. Yes. Along those lines, but enough of a difference, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because she's got a man. Mimi. Yes, Mimi. Ah. Oh. What has happened to Mimi and also Phil with two L's? Phil with two L's and his mum. Phil with two L's, oh. please come back and mud wrestle with Tyrone some more. <laughs> Naked. Tim's got a vibrator this time. Just think of the fun you can have. And likes to walk around in women's dressing gowns. Been mixing that concrete up like like nobody's business. <sighs> no, this only was, in my <clears throat> dreams. This was that kind of farcical story that uh, doesn't make an awful lot of sense when you hold a candle to it. And no, that, but that's fine. It was good fun, and Ed's reactions to an awful lot of what was going on was was pretty funny. But um. I'm intrigued by your suggestion here that they may have also fallen on hard times. On harder times. That would certainly put an interesting spin on it. Yes. I, I hope that they're not, and I don't think they are, I don't think there's anything that would suggest that they're trying to gouge the Baileys for anything. Mm. Or maybe they are. Right. But because that's a little bit too much like the Bernie Doppelganger storyline. Only these are people <clears throat> they actually know, and mm. and they don't look like the Baileys at all. And long may that continue. <laughs> At all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is also Tim's mum about the house. What? Oh, yeah, she does show up in the storyline, doesn't she? You know the rule. On Friday at the factory, Stephen is having problems arranging movers for his big flit to wherever it is he and Tim's mum are moving to. Izzy makes a wonderful suggestion of getting the knicker people to do it in a works van. It's genius. Carla comes into the factory and demands a meeting with Stephen, but in a nice, demanding kind of way. You know, I hate Stephen. I hate him. You I do. hate that character. I want him to die. I love his relationship with Izzy. <laughs> I love this because this is not the first time. No, this is no. maybe the third or fourth time. Yeah, and I love that. That I love. Yes. The has, killing, not so much. Carl, it's a shame that he's going to eventually get caught. Right. Because the relationship between the two of them is something that could be developed. and It's delightful. To the point where it's gone on for so long that you don't even remark upon it. But then at one moment you think, why are those two friends? 
but it just makes sense. It does. It does. I he love really it. He really values her opinion, and right. And it's because she because she gives it to him straight, and she doesn't try to lick his boots like everybody else does. She gives it to him straight, like a pear cider that's made from one hundred percent pears. Yes. Carla has decided that she's up to her tits in factory pish, and so she's decided to sell up, and the 50%ers have agreed to her selling. She says her mental health has to come first, and she needs a fresh start. But don't worry, she has a buyer lined up and everything, but she doesn't say who it is. And to Uh-oh. be fair, Stephen doesn't ask. Mm. Michael and Stephen hit the rovers. Michael is sure he's going to end up getting sacked when the new boss comes in. Stephen tells him not to shit his breeks just yet. Self-doubt will kill him before any new boss does. He calls Michael his rising star who is responsible for making the business attractive. As they, as they chat, Stephen gets a text confirmation that his premiums on Tim's mum's life insurance are starting to get deducted. Mm. Stephen takes Tim's mum and in his roles to sweet talk her into remortgaging a house they haven't yet moved into right. to buy a knicker factory. Tim's mum is a hard no. Yes, she is. Thank goodness. <coughs> Thank goodness. <clears throat> what a dreadful idea. Yeah. That mortgage that you took out three months ago, let's right. take out another one. Right. What? You have no equity yet. You're supposed to be a smart businessman. What is wrong with you? Yeah, this doesn't fly. Back at the factory, Owen is waiting in the office. Before they get to business, though, Owen asks if Jenny has a new man. Stephen calls Jenny a bunny boiler. Who knows what goes on in that mind of hers? Carrots, boiling water. Then they come to the crux of the meeting. Owen is the new buyer. And Stephen is flummoxed here. Owen wants to go through the accounts, but Stephen suggests that they catch up with that tomorrow and they head to the bistro. Owen reveals that without looking at the books, he's decided that he wants to make Sarah redundant because she does fuck all. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, yeah. he's like, we, we keep Michael, but we don't need Michael and Sarah. Mm. They don't do the same thing. No. And Stephen did point out that Sarah was instrumental. In I think that's fa- that's generous. Right. In it was getting, instrumental at the start. Yeah. But Michael's the designer and Sarah is the... I think that's the problem. Hmm. We don't know what Sarah's bringing at the party here. Well, she goes to meetings and she talks Sometimes. to buyers and she makes deals. But unfortunately, the buyers that she's been dealing with recently has been Owen. So yeah. Owen knows how effective she is, and maybe she's just not that effective. Mm. I think this is just a Friday storyline that's just dropped in to remind us that this is still going on. Tim's mum and Stephen haven't moved in together yet, yet, but it's on the cards. And changes the foot at the factory. This is Carla out of a factory that she's been part of for... Oh, quite a few years now, right? And she got the knicker people to sell their shares as well? No, 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 no. She got them to agree that she can sell hers. Oh, okay. So the knicker people will still have their 50% and Owen will have the other 50%. And see, that was that, and that was cute too because Stephen is put out because Izzy didn't tell him. He's like, Izzy didn't tell me. Wait a minute. That's just, wait, was, wait a minute. I was just talking to Izzy. Izzy didn't say nothing about this. Right. How cute is that? I hate the guy, but that's fucking adorable. <laughs> uh, uh, think, just think of how much we missed Izzy in the 
two years that she was right. hardly in it. Yeah. And she's been in it as this little secondary character in the right. storyline that you would think that could be any one of the Knicker people. Right. But the fact that it's been her consistently yeah. over the last few weeks. It's great. really adding something to it. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And then, you know, her involvement in the Gemma and Chesney's wedding storyline was mm-hmm. really great too. Yep. You know? Oh, how much we missed her. Yeah, this is good stuff. Yes. All right, our final storyline tonight is Damon Bad Woman's 2. On Monday, Damon and Adam are now officially best buds. Harry of the corn. That's the Harry of the corn. Harry of the corn. He doesn't blink. That's because he's two different children. Is he? Yeah. It's two kids, twins who play Harry. No. Yes. Is it? Yes. I need to look this up because I don't believe you. There's a store apparently called Harry Corey, and that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> no. Freddie and Isaac Rhodes. Yeah. It's funny because somebody on Twitter is like, is Harry being played by the same kid? Because he was slightly different this tonight. And it's like, it's two different kids. And I mean, they're twins. They're identical twins. But there are still slight differences. It's like sometimes... Does Sarah know... Sometimes you could tell when it was Mary-Kate or Ashley on Full House. Wow. I I had no idea. It's fooled me. Yeah. Which, admittedly, (laughs) isn't something to write home about. But it absolutely fooled me. It's funny because I don't have anything to say about the wee boy acting. Uh He's he's cute and he's a wee boy. Or they're wee boys. Right. And they have just the cutest curly hair. And they just get a couple of lines and they're enjoying themselves. Oh, God. And and so cute. So cute, especially this week. But neither one of those children grew up in Manchester. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So on Monday, Damon and Adam are officially best buds as they prepare for the licensing hearing. Nick agrees to host at the bistro because the swings at the precinct apparently are taken. We've got to have the hearing for the licensing somewhere. Right. So, you know. Might as well have it in the place where think licensing is going to happen. As opposed to, like, the council offices. Right. Damon promises to turn on the charm, but he admits to being a bit concerned about his past coming up to haunt him. Adam promises to have Damon's back and can do the talking if need be. At the base road, the panel do have concerns about Damon and his family's dodgy past, and Damon gets flustered, so Adam speaks up, points out that Damon has never been charged with anything, he's not his brother, he's a changed man, plus the late licence is a good thing for the local economy. Right. So this looks like it's done the trick, and the deal is verbally agreed. Nick is thrilled, Sarah just pretends to be. Huzzah, she says. Huzzah indeed. Later in the pub, Damon and Adam are having a pint. When Sarah comes in, Adam proudly announces that Damon has offered to take him to a county match and Sarah Sarah is shocked that he's agreed, reckoning that the tickets are probably stolen. When Adam nips off for a shite, she reminds Damon that he promised to back off and stay out of their lives. So when Adam comes back, Damon says that, actually, you know what, I've got to wash my hair that night. So he suggests that Adam takes Harry to the football match Hmm. instead. Which is... This seems utterly reasonable behaviour yeah. by Damon. Yeah. It's not what you expect in a storyline like this for one of the characters to be... Perfectly reasonable. Perfectly reasonable, especially when he's the other guy. 
I think Damon genuinely does like Adam as well. You know, yes. the whole cuckolding of him is not personal. Right. It's, it's just that he really likes Sarah in that leather skirt. Right. On Wednesday in the morning, Adam has been told late about a meeting that Alia hasn't told him about, so he's going to have to dingy Harry again in the football match. So he, heads God, off he to dingies that kid so much. I know. And Why does that kid love <clears throat> him so much? Sarah is already looking pissed at this. So she heads to Nina Rolls and hands over the tickets to show not to be used with Lily. Damon is there talking with Leanne and he overhears that Adam has a meeting tonight so we'll be out and about all day. In the law office, Sarah shows up to have lunch with Adam but he's out with a client. Alia announces that she's fucked up again and the meeting that he has tonight is with a different client and she can't get a hold of Adam to tell him. Sarah is (laughs) furious. Alia apologises. Getting stabbed and blown up has affected her organisational skills somewhat. Yes. And remember, remember Sarah, whose nephew is responsible for me getting stabbed and <laughs> yes. blown up. On the street, she bumps into Todd and they catch up, which allows him Which to, is nice. Which is, well, it just allows him to mention that he's still unlucky in love and is still looking for that one special non-Scottish person to make him feel alive. Yeah, tell me about it, says Sarah. <laughs> Back home, Damon pops round to thank Adam for the late licence success, but Sarah doesn't know where Adam is or when he'll be back, so Damon offers to stay to keep her vagina company. Meanwhile, back at the office, Alia apologises to Adam and he's cool with everything. He says, you know what, you make some good points. Mm-hmm. You're probably right to be a little bit upset here. Mm-hmm. But maybe don't expect a Christmas bonus. Right. Sarah and Damon are chatting. She thinks this is dangerous, but he says the ship has sailed. But then he goes on to tell her that he's had more cookends and weekends, but still can't stop thinking about her and her beautiful smile. And then he starts on some cheesy Sam Malone stuff about her eyes when Gail wanders in with Harry, who isn't feeling well, apparently. Oh, you're not feeling very well. I told you this morning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he did. He did. He did. You know, because we had this whole thing where Sarah says to Adam, oh, he says he's feeling poorly, but I think he just wants to knock off school. And I'm like, he's in, like, what, preschool? Kindergarten? Kids that age love school. Kids at age what to go to school? Yeah, it's painting. He's, it's making a mess. Right. He's not of the age to want to fuck off school. Bad parenting, which gets worse later. He is seemingly seven. <laughs> I, don't think he's, I don't think he's seven. He was born in 2016. You're not saying an awful lot here. Yes, but I'm looking at you. <laughs> Am I being a, unreasonable? In a certain way. Are those wee boys? How old are those wee boys? They still have their actor page up. Because uh, those wee boys are not seven years old. It doesn't say how old they are. But they've been playing Harry since 2017. Right, and he was like a baby in 2017. He was a baby. He was like little. He's being carried around. Remember when they got married and he was so cute? And we're like, oh, Harry can walk now. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Gail is suspicious for what's going on and why Sarah isn't at work. Sarah says she has to go in later for a meeting. And Damon explains that he's there to thank Adam. Chinny chin, scratch my chin, says Gail. And she offers to come back later to look after Harry while Sarah goes to work. She leaves and immediately Sarah and Damon are all over each other. No tongues, which is seen by Harry in his jammies. 
Later, Sarah fucks off to work and Gail is watching Harry draw a picture of Mummy kissing a man. That's Mummy, asks Gail. Yes, oh, kissing a man, fancy that. That'll be Adam then. No, another man, yells Harry. No, that's the other man. Gail doesn't need Harry to yell anything else and has worked it all out. Mm. Sarah gets back later and Gail wastes no time in showing her Harry's picture of her getting her hole off another block. <laughs> Chance would be a fine thing, says Sarah. A fine thing indeed, shouts Harry from his room. <laughs> Gail asks Sarah not to lie and Sarah Soft comes clean. Soft play indeed, says, mummy. Says it's got out of hand and she's already slept with him. So to them chat and Sarah explains how Adam has been lo- living at work recently and Damon has made her feel excited. Gail tells her that this will end in tears and Sarah insists that she's had her fill of Damon. Yeah, twice. Sarah goes round to the bistro and speaks to Damon in the office about Gail knowing about them and Harry seeing them kiss. She feels sick to her stomach now and this definitely has to be over properly now, this time for good, okay? Damon wants to make a go of it though, but Sarah tearfully tells him to stay away and as she leaves, she's seen by Leanne on her way in and Leanne does an impression of that dramatic gopher. (laughs) Back home... And Adam has come home with a weather county ball and Scottish colloquialisms, asking if Harry is still peely wally. Yes. He gives the ball to Harry and then heads off for a shite, which allows Sarah to gaslight her son into believing that she only gave Damon a peck on the cheek. Well, right. At first she's like, now, mummy didn't really kiss that man. And Harry's like, you lie. (laughs) She's like, well, okay, yes, but it was just a peck on the cheek. It was just, you know, a friendly kiss. I think I'm a hole. Not that time. <clears throat> what a class act, Sarah is. On Friday morning She's has broken <clears throat> and Adam is off to work, but Sarah is declaring a duvet day because Alia has rearranged his meetings and judging how Alia's organisational skills have gone on early in the week, that could mean anything. That's true. She thinks it's nice to be spontaneous, so she heads out for some snacks and to drop in at the bistro to speak to the bloke she's been fucking behind Adam's back and to send her regrets that they won't be able to make it to the late licence launch party. In the bistro, Sarah gives Nick her apologies and takes the opportunity to apologise to Damon for some reason too. She gets back home. Adam and Harry are making a jigsaw. Sarah wants to join in, but Harry doesn't want her to and doesn't want her to make him a fucking milkshake either, so leave me alone, you cow. Later... Sarah threw Harry into his room to think about what he said and done because Adam's like, this behaviour is completely out of character for Harry. Sarah tells Adam that maybe Harry's worried about one of his friends and what they're going through. <clears throat> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> maybe, maybe Harry's having an existential crisis. Maybe that's what's going on. Right, yeah. She suggests they postpone the duvet day so Adam can get back to work. Sarah has a chat with Harry who is not happy with Mummy and doesn't believe her shite that it was a goodbye kiss. You Harry has developed a West Country accent as he tells Sarah that it's a lie and he's been brought up never to lie. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not making fun of him acting, I'm really not. But no, because he's <coughs> a wee, because a wee they boy are wee boys. And it's adorable and it's, it's so cute. cute. It's so cute. I just want Harry all the time in this show. He's the second cutest British Harry I know. Uh, Adam comes back later with a milkshake for Harry. Farmer Harry rushes to give Adam a hug and says, Mum's a liar. I be eating her. We don't talk to strangers round these parts. Oh, no, sir. Adam demands Harry apologises, but Sarah sends Harry to his room. There's something she needs to tell Adam in private. And during Sarah's preamble, Adam kind of susses it all out. Sarah admits that there was a kiss and Harry saw it. 
and it was with Damon. She says it was a mistake, and she doesn't know why, except she does know why. Just a kiss, says Adam. Well, obviously I got my whole of them as well, says Sarah. <laughs> of course, why? says Adam. Why would you? You, you don't have to tell him everything. She's, she's got Harry on one shoulder and the other kid who plays Harry on the other shoulder. And those little Jiminy Crickets are making her tell the truth. The whole truth. <clears throat> Nothing but. He thought she hated Damon. At least I've admitted it, says Sarah. O.R., says Harry. She just wanted to escape her life and her marriage, asks Adam. You threw all that away for a one-night stand. Uh, when did I say this was a one-night stand, says Sarah? So Sarah goes through the dates. It happened the night before he was supposed to be sent down for 15 years, and then some other times too. Adam is furious that the man he was fighting to save would do this, and storms out. So the late licence party is underway, and a roaring success when Adam bursts in, shouting that Damon is a rat and knocking off everybody's missies, or maybe just mine. Sarah pulls him off. But not like that. But it's too little, too late. Meanwhile, Daniel, who is super observant this week, has noticed that Dee Dee wasn't surprised by this. Adam requests a square go, but Damon tells him that he's embarrassing himself, and he goes to the office. Ken tells Adam to leave. Everyone is looking at Adam with an expression that says, Scotsman. <laughs> Sarah runs out and meets Damon, who must have sneaked down the drainpipe outside the office. He thinks this is great, that everything's out in the open now and they can be a proper couple. Oh, please, says Sarah. Grow a foot and a half and develop a Scottish accent and then we can talk. <laughs> the party has resumed and as Adam and Daniel are chatting, Adam works out that Dee Dee knew all about the, are we calling it an affair? Right. So he sacks her on the spot, thinking that she was in cahoots with Sarah. Right, yeah, that she was <laughs> like giving them time, you know, and and everything when that's exactly the opposite of what she was doing poor Dee Dee this is the second secret that she's had to keep that has backfired in her face for the first one right he refuses to take life advice from a woman who comes to work in odd shoes that was a one-time thing cries Dee Dee and she storms (laughs) out and I'm quite surprised by the way they've done that because they made it look like what Adam was saying was I'm not taking any life advice off a woman right yeah full stop right but it wasn't that no but they made it look like that was what it was going to be but no a woman who comes to work in odd shoes and that is so dd except it isn't except it isn't anymore so and you know she is so meticulous in the way she dresses she's such (coughs) a fashion icon you know she's ditzy in other things but i don't imagine she would ever wear odd shoes maybe just that one time then Adam has calmed down by the time he comes home but he's still not a happy chappy and he's drunk off his ass is he? he said he's he's been drinking drinking. she apologises again and hopes they can work through it like we did with Lydia no, like we did with Carla (laughs) (laughs) Harry the grass comes out of the bedroom and insists that they all group hug Right. but later Adam has packed a bag and hands over his wedding ring what do you want me to do with that? Asks Sarah. He says that she's not the woman that he married. And he walks out. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think Dee Dee's sacked come Monday. I think Dee Dee's gets her job back. Right, yeah, because Adam <clears throat> can't run the place by himself and, and all, yeah. And we need Dee Dee to be right. a lawyer. We, yes. need, we need that to still be a thing, I yes. think, don't we? I really loved, I really loved the... Uh, 
the scene in the Bailey's house when Ed comes back and Dee Dee and Michael are on the what couch. What is Michael wearing on He's his head? He's wearing a do-rag. I don't know what that is. Is that and his it's, hair? It's like, it's like they finally hired actual black people in the costuming department of the show. Is that what that is? Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. I was, I was bewildered by it. What is it? It's like a like a hat. Yeah, it's it's. <clears throat> or a cap. Right. Yeah. Or a bandana thing or something. Well, it's. Uh, I don't know if I'm the right person to explain to you what a do rag is. I will Google it. I will Google it later. Yes. Yes. Some some may say I should have Googled it before. Right. Yes. There we go. Black people's hair and white people's hair are different. And so they require different things for maintenance. And now you can Google it. I think this reminds me of a John Oliver thing. Maybe I'll, I'll watch that again. Maybe. Maybe. This so many, so, so many uh, Baileys this week. I enjoyed that so much. So many episodes. So, so much of all four of the Baileys who are still on the show. And they were good in it all. And it was all good. Yep. And nobody mentioned racism. <laughs> Not once. Not once. Well, no. I lie. Yasmin kind of implies it by throwing the Baileys in with her and Alia and, and the, the Alhans. Alhans yeah. in, in, you know, there are people with melanin in their skin who live on the street and... They shouldn't have to live with Max. Right. Anyway, this anyway. storyline. Yes. We said a few times, and I, th- I think I'm more, more firm in this opinion now than I have been even previously, but this is the sort of storyline that I want to see. Yeah. A good old-fashioned infidelity yes. storyline that's going to presumably have a pregnancy at some point right. cropping up because... Who's the daddy? Because you can't not have a who's the daddy story right. when Sarah and Adam have been trying for a kid. Right, yeah. You, you can't not do that. You have to have that element to the storyline. I am very but, I'm very interested in how many times this week Damon says that he wished he had been a better father. Yeah, no kidding. You were an absolute horror and a shit to, right. to Jacob. And then like, as soon as he was gone, you pulled a 180 and started being friends with children. Yeah. Which is still weird mm-hmm. and still sus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what soap operas this is what soap operas need. And isn't it's, in- it? it's interesting when when um <clears throat> More of this, less when Sarah's guns. talking about why she did it. She doesn't really mention that she felt almost abandoned by Adam who was always at his work. Yeah. Even though that really is why was it, isn't it? It's she was she was bored. Maybe she should have explained it better. Because the way she explained it was it was like danger and it was excitement and stuff right. like that. I, was like, I don't know if that's a better way of explaining the same thing or right. just saying that you were never here and right. you I was were tired neglecting of making me. excuses for you for not being at places and tired of making excuses with Harry for why you weren't doing things with him right? and stuff. But I've kind of said before that I didn't think that that Adam and Sarah, I wasn't invested enough in the relationship mm. to really care whether it, it survived this or not. Right. I really think that I do want it to survive now. But <laughs> it's more because I don't really, I don't really think I don't Damon s- and Sarah are that good anymore. I think as soon as they did it, right. it 
just, just it right. changed. I, yeah, he's somebody to have really hot sex with. He's not somebody to have a relationship with and pay taxes with. <laughs> right. You know, right. this is, this is, this is it. This is, you know, he's good for a very specific thing and nothing else. <laughs> I don't see him being the type of guy to settle down and have kids and pay a mortgage and not be a bad boy anymore. Right. Yeah, I don't see that happening. It was good again, though, to get Gail involved in this. I don't think I really mentioned right. an awful lot of her inv- involvement in my notes, but she was, she cropped up a, cu- a couple of times. Yeah. And, and there to be, it was quite funny because uh, Sarah says uh, the cat, or the kitten uh-huh. is the cat or whatever. Right. I was like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, is right. basically what she was trying to say, but with cats instead. Right, and I love. Gail's like, oi, but it's true. But also, I loved when when Gail said that Damon reminded her of Sarah's of, father, of Brian, and Sarah's like, "What? No, ew, gross." <laughs> and Gail has to explain, you know, the they've the just kind of cut in the hair, the the Johnny come lately sort of thing, the the man about town sort of. You know, everybody's pal mm-hmm. sort of thing. And Sarah has to concede that a little. This kind of robs us a little bit as well, though, of the relationship that Adam and Damon were forging. They were becoming best friends, really good pals. And yeah. I was quite enjoying that as, as well. well. A little bit of banter together. Right. The idea of them going to the football together. Sure, I like that. Right. I, I, was, I was happy to go along with that. That's not going to happen no. anymore. One wonders. Is he going to be there, their lawyer anymore? There can't be any future in that because the trust is, gone. is completely gone, isn't it? But but Damon, I think, is still still connected in certain ways that right. Well, I, the I don't, bistro. I, I don't think there's any way that that Adam is getting threatened because of this. No. No, because Damon's trying to prove to Sarah that he's turned over a new leaf. Yeah. But Adam is privy to things that Damon would maybe prefer no one to be privy to now. Mm. And is maybe not bound by uh, client-attorney privilege anymore. Mm. Although I think it probably is. Well, yeah, it would have to be. But yeah, that's a a little shame that... It was... (laughs) As far as... um, triangles go it was there was quite a it's quite a good one while it lasted yes <clears throat> yes oh, agreed well. does this set up a potential for adam and Didi? maybe mm. it's weird that didi has been in the show for this long and they haven't paired her up with someone well they sort of paired her up with damon briefly Hard, hardly hardly at all briefly very briefly yeah, I don't see Dee Dee and Adam happening. I'm worried where Adam's going to stay now because normally he'd go back and live with Grandad. Right, but, but he can't. Grandad's house is absolutely, absolutely full, full of everybody else. <clears throat> There's like eight different surnames in that house now. <laughs> oh, well. Well, maybe when Daisy and Daniel break up, maybe Daniel and Dee Dee will become a thing. Oh, God, no. Dandy. Oh, no. Oh. No. And Zidane left. 
because that's the relationship I wanted was Zidane and Dee Dee. Because there were Didi's some. far too good for them. Right. Didi's far too good for all of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And therein lies the problem. <laughs> but she, she and Zidane did have some chemistry there in the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Yes. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Hmm. I don't want to give it to Roy again. Is it Tim in his dressing gown? I was going to say, yeah, it's <laughs> Tim in his dressing gown. It absolutely is Tim in his dressing gown, just standing there outside going, what the hell do I do now? I, I think so. Yeah, that's I, absolutely the moment of the week. I've been and I'm not, to, ash- I'm not ashamed to say it. I've been unable to get it out of my head since it happened. <laughs> there were just so many questions. That's our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Hmm. Oh, oh, is it, is it David? Is it David telling Glenda that sometimes he thinks about cutting people's throats? Oh, I forgot that. That was creepy. It was creepy. Was it boring? But totally believable that, that David would have these thoughts. And then she calls him Sweetie Todd. I love that. I actually love that. That's not boring. <laughs> How could you forget that? That was so great. Oh, is it is it Daisy texting kiss, kiss, kiss? To to Ryan again, walking back and forth in the back of the bistro. No. <sighs> what did Daniel do this week? <laughs> oh, he was ironing. Was he? I think so. He was folding clothes. Oh yeah, he was folding clothes, and then he threw clothes at her to get her to help. And, that she that just, and she just sat there with clothes on her for a while. Right, and glared at him. Mm-hmm. He's such a prick. It's, that was kind of fun, though. Oh, 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 I know what it is. It's Ken talking about wine. There we go. We got there in the end. Ken talking about wine is our... Boring moment of <sighs> oh, If you've got any opinions of wine... Aww. I don't want to talk about my opinions about wine. <laughs> we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy and French Helen. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast too by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. I talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.